question stands if we shouldn't create everything in a mobile way. Anonymous, who apparently hacked Russian streaming services and state TV. TikTok, which now decided to suspend content in Russia. Google is experimenting with radar technology. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of the Tech Review. Every two weeks, we gather to discuss the hottest topics from science, technology, and innovation. With me on, where is it, camera four, we have Vincent, lead anchor of News Review and owner of, I believe, 80,000 followers on TikTok. And then on camera three, we have Chris, head of immersive tech and harbinger of the robot apocalypse. On camera two, we have Henrike, our very own space explorer. And on camera one, that's me, Tarek. I just climbed out of bed because I'm currently in a totally different time zone and, uh, than, than everybody else. <laughs> um, yeah, if you like what you see here, you can of course follow us directly on our websites, ideasengineering.io and freetech.academy. And of course, uh, very conveniently on all of our social media channels. You can find the links in the description below. And without any further ado, let's jump right into the news. Oh yeah, and um, I have one new thing. Uh, I have one new thing. Um, I, I built this small uh, widget on top here uh, so that I do not have to uh, like manually uh, assemble the, the order in which we go through the article. So now I have like this gen, gen, uh, ra random generator. And this one uh, tells me now that the first link is actually coming from me. Um, and this is going to be the cyber criminals who breached NVIDIA story. That, that one that I promoted on, on uh, LinkedIn for, this, uh, for today's stream. Okay, um, let's jump into it. Um, if you did not read it yet, um, cyber criminals uh, captured some data from NVIDIA. And NVIDIA... Um, you know, the, the uh, provider of uh, graphic cards um, and uh, the, the, let's say, market leader um, of uh, GPUs, um, they got some demands and the, I call them cyber terrorists uh, because they threaten, of course, the company to release all the stolen data. Um, they demand that a certain feature is going to be removed uh, from their firmware. And um, they are talking about the so-called LH, where is it? This, this one feature um, that is supposedly throttles um, the hash calculation of the graphic card, which is important if you use the, the NVIDIA graphic cards for crypto mining. Yeah, so if you're using it uh, for crypto mining, then you have a hard time using these uh, graphic cards, even though it's of course the preferred cho choice. Um, and this makes these cards uh, very, very in high demand uh, for everyone on the market. And real gamers have a hard time to purchase these cards. And so the assumption is that NVIDIA purposely, purposeful um, included this feature so that it makes this, their GPUs um, more unattractive um, for crypto miners. Yeah, and so these, uh, these hackers and uh, cyber criminals, they now demand that with the next um, firmware update, they remove this feature so that um, they can use, or they say for the whole crypto community, uh, use these uh, graphic cards again um, for GPU mining. Um, and I, I believe this is very, very interesting because usually um, if you have something like this, um, the, the, um, the hackers demand directly 
like cash in Bitcoin. And in this way, they simply say, uh, yeah, please, please allow us to use your hardware to mine Bitcoin ourselves. I think this is uh, quite sweet. <laughs> and I was very, very um, wondering um, about this uh, news because usually if a company has a very desirable product where the whole world is is running behind it and grabbing it from the shelves, it's, it's a good thing. And uh, they usually say, okay, great. Yeah, it's, it's like multi-purpose hardware. Uh, <laughs> buy as many as you like. But in this case, obviously, the demand is way too high for the market. And so the criminals are actually fighting over this hardware. Did you read about this? No no other crypto enthusiasts in this round. <laughs> but but it sounds as if this is kind of a Robin Hood, Robin Hood thing from the crypto scene, right? Yeah, kind of. Uh, right, right. So basically the hackers, um, they are doing this for the well-being of the community. And so uh, you're right. Basically, you could think about if it's now okay to root for the criminals or is it uh, something where where we as gamers say yeah that's that's right uh, fight fight the crypto people because um, gpus are not for mining they are for gaming yeah but you're right it's, it's basically for the well well-being of the community <laughs> well um isn't that i don't know i would call it robin hood um due to that it's Nvidia just positioning themselves in a specific spot on the market. It seems like they want to produce something that's more for gamers than it's probably for uh, people who mine. Also, to be frank, I think the mining community is much smaller. Plus, people who mine usually have more than one card. And yeah. I'm talking not about the about not about the you know Tarek in the room having like three or four maybe, but I'm talking about people who actually have like in a established business with hundreds of them or more and therefore i think it is the software is protection and actually that's the robin hood move protection from uh groups of people who actually buy a lot of these cards um you know protect them protect the gamers from these groups and to make actually these cards more available for everybody Right. Um, the problem is that um, you can only use these um, these cards for mining if they are working efficiently because um, powering these cards uh, costs energy. And so if the cards work very slow and your output is very low on, on um, what, what these cards are generating, um, then you, you are not profitable because you're investing more more uh, money for the energy that you get uh, out. And so um, making these cards less efficient means that uh, it doesn't make sense to to participate in crypto mining anymore that's why these big crypto mines in china or canada are existing only there um, where uh, energy is very very cheap but aren't these the groups that exactly where you you could now argue that the uh, this attack has been coming from in the end because that uh, are the groups that are profiting from uh from the change of hash generation if i understood you right um, and therefore, again, it is NVIDIA positioning themselves on the market in order to make clear that they are more supportive of the gaming community than of the big mining conglomerates in China and usually other places where this is where energy generation is uh, really available. Yeah, you could argue that um, it is kind of um, balancing the field. Um, but but I'm not sure if uh, people who are actually aiming for profit would would agree because um, you you or the the idea is that everybody has the same chances 
Um, and if I only have money, let's say for one uh, GPU, then of course uh, I don't have uh, any chance to participate. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, the other question is if if it's supposed to be in the hands of Nvidia to decide um, how their GPUs are used, um, and it, it might even uh, open up like um, the 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 ability for other providers, for other vendors um, of GPUs to say, okay, let's generate or let's create um, specific uh, GPUs uh, outside of the NVIDIA realm, uh, which are specifically only um, for this one purpose. And then maybe then it's okay. But this is again won't work because the shortage on the market um, with uh, the GPUs is, is not only um, facing NVIDIA, it's right now globally on the market uh, for um, vendors of microchips that it's it's very hard to produce um, for the demand, right? And in terms of environmental protection, um, of course, we all know crypto mining and um, especially Bitcoin is very, very uh, bad for the environment. And so um, it might be even uh, something like uh, good for the environment to reduce the ability or the profitability of crypto mining in, in this sense. Yeah, but. I'm not sure if this is actually the, the, the motivation of NVIDIA. Okay, let's see what the gener random generator I have today. <laughs> I can't say the word random generator. Let's say what it has in stock next. Oh, next one is Vincent with TikTok. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, well, so we all know TikTok as a social platform and it's a video-based platform where you can upload pieces of content and uh, to the world and everybody can see it and TikTok started out years ago or not years ago yeah well actually yeah no finally it's years ago with 15 seconds of video they changed it to 30 60 then last year they came up with three and then three minutes upload time in total and then some special selected creators were able to upload up to five minutes of content as one piece and now TikTok is rolling out 10-minute video, but not only to specific creators, let's say creators with this uh, uh, with this blue icon everybody knows as verified, but to actually everybody. So everybody who starts out as a regular account and who wants to become a creator can now become a creator, let's say, only with 10-minute pieces of content. And this is funny because we know this from YouTube, which is, as you all know, also a very video-based platform. Remember years ago, uh, 10 years ago or something, you, you were only able to upload seven-minute videos or eight-minute videos, something like that. I, I don't re even recall. And we also know it from Vine, this short video platform, also years ago, that they had short videos and they also lengthened them. So this is something we see in this video industry all over again. Um, and TikTok now comes you know, and adds up to this with 10 minute videos. And the question now stands if what, what, where this is directed to, in what kind of direction this is going. Is this to compete with something like YouTube? Because obviously YouTube is much better for monetization and TikTok has all these struggles with creators, not earning a lot of money. Tyke and I, we, we spoke about this extensively in a lot of calls, but um, so is this to compete with YouTube or is this probably to just not compete with you, compete with YouTube, but to broaden your footprint, their footprint, uh, and let's say go against just other players, not specifically YouTube, uh, in order to gain more view time uh, per day. Because of course, let's say the average TikTok user is I don't know, 15 probably, uh, maybe 18. It doesn't matter. 
that that person will not only use one app, they will also use, I don't know, they're going to go to Netflix, they're going to go to YouTube, they're going to go to Snap, whatever. And um, so now TikTok tries to kill one of these players out of the daily routine. Uh, and yeah, so that is the question. And um, my take is it's not against YouTube, but that's just my point of view. Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of curious to see in the end, because um, like on TikTok, it, it's specifically like this short attention attention span that viewers have these days is you know that's why TikTok is so attractive because the, the videos are so short. So I'm wondering now with these 10 minute videos, like how these what was it called watch through rate or the um, whether people really yeah. yeah are really willing to watch a 10 minute video on TikTok because it's not what they expect and not what they're used to. I mean we're like we're learning and we're adapting to to this stuff. So probably one day it's like totally normal that you have these longer videos there. But I don't know. It's uh, it will be interesting to see whether the users really um, want to have that on TikTok. I I love that. Oh, sorry. Is isn't it just broadening the spectrum of potential target groups? I mean, you still have those uh, short time viewers right on the one hand but you but now you also have those uh, viewers who might prefer uh, longer videos and um, so of course it's a question of monetization so the longer the videos probably the the better you can monetize them um, that's one of the aspects I see and and also um, regarding content for some of the users it might it might be interesting to get uh, longer videos longer content uh so that that might be attractive for them and in that sense also regarding youtube it might be an argument saying look we have the short videos here which is very attractive which is uh, what actually tiktok became famous for but we also have like similar videos as you have in youtube maybe you youtube guy want to come over to tiktok um and and then you have what you what you like at tiktok as well here, uh, uh, what you like in YouTube, you have as well here in, in TikTok. And um, yeah, maybe you also will like the shorter videos then as well. So I think it's it's a combination of various aspects that comes uh, together and as said, broadens the spectrum for, 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 for TikTok. Yeah. I, I'm like from a user perspective, like when I use YouTube, what I can see, like when the videos are listed there, I see immediately how long they are. And like what to expect and if I'm willing to spend 45 minutes on this video or eight minutes on another one or if that's too long or too short or whatever if it fulfills like my my needs uh, so to say but like on TikTok when I open the app and I you know like have those uh, videos in my in my role in, in my timeline I do not immediately immediately see how long they are I do not know what to expect from the video so I'm curious to see whether they will mix and mash that in that view or if they will create another view in the app so that I can be aware of you know what what's coming yeah what's what makes sense actually um I, I I I agree with you that I in the end it is all up to how TikTok introduces the feature because in the end uh nobody knows how the audience of TikTok will actually react um there is one very pro argument that this will work out and everybody will 
be happy with it. And then there is very uh, one very ag ag argument against it. The pro argument is that TikTok's version in China, uh, they have, as you know, or probably know, they have a dedicated version for it in China. There are 10 minute videos already introduced since 219. So TikTok as a company, not as a European based product, but as a company globally, they know how the users might react and they know what features they might have to, uh, to do, what buttons they have to press to get users interested in 10 minute videos. But on the other hand, um, the, the argument against it is that Vine did the same thing and they failed miserably. I mean, we all know that the platform is not non-existent anymore. That was big money dump from Twitter, but um, the, they did that and nobody cared because everybody felt, well, maybe it was a bit later, of course, in the lifespan of the platform, but also uh, one of the ma major problems was that Wine was not just perceived as that long video platform. Uh, but that probably is, because I, I agree with you 100%, is up to TikTok and how they manage content in the app. What, so I, what I believe is uh, very crazy is that um, when TikTok stormed the market, everyone was following TikTok because they, they set this new trend, they set this new standard, short videos, like really short videos were the thing and everybody was loving it. And we know YouTube shorts is now a thing and uh, um, Instagram reels are a thing. And uh, basically everyone has now this short form video because the users love it. But at the same time, um, as you said, uh, Vine died trying to uh, to survive with short term with, with short uh, format content, um, and so TikTok now has to adapt uh, in, into this this other direction, and this means it's not this golden solution, and TikTok has um, the the perfect system. And at the end, I, I'm very curious to see if there will be actually a competition on this market, because right now you you have YouTube as the the big player for as a searchable library for video content. This is not what TikTok is. TikTok is entertainment and you swipe through your For You page. But if this is not uh, possible to, to monetize and to maintain, then maybe TikTok needs to become searchable and they need to uh, in, in introduce a, a lot of more um, like content-based features and go away from this, uh, this very short-term content. And then you basically might have like another YouTube or the other way around YouTube becomes like a, a consumer of uh, TikTok content. And so I'm not sure if at, at, in the long run, all these platforms merge together in this little bit short term, a little bit uh, long term and, and everything together. So what's number three? No, oh, <laughs> Vincent, Canva review. Uh, do you want me to go or yeah, sure. uh, should we... Uh... No, the, the, if, the okay, so, uh, if the random generator says uh, you are next, then you are next. <laughs> okay. Okay, so uh, the article I linked here is a bit older uh, because I couldn't find one for the latest update of Canva Mobile. But actually what I want to talk about and what I linked here is Canva Mobile. Um, I got approached by accident by somebody else, or not by accident, by car. It, it just happened. I got approached by somebody else. They're working on a... Um, or if you know somebody who's working on a uh, big camera competition um, and the idea of this competition and then okay, Canva because the, the app's not ready yet so I brought Canva with me today. The idea is that we create everything mobile and uh, this is a question I 
have a lot in my job right now because we're talking a lot about what software to use and everything. I work with social media, so uh, the idea, the question stands if we shouldn't create everything in a mobile way because actually the uh, Canva slide production video is fine, but as, especially photo creation is is updated uh, or has been updated in the past few months a lot. And the features are actually really great. And I think that if you want to use these kind of apps, well, uh, I don't think it takes, a, it takes a long time to actually get used to these features. And that's why I brought it with me today because this is just a very general question for me. I would love to have more opinions on, um, would you, do you think, I mean, it would be much faster and much easier if we just would work with mobile devices, maybe the biggest device being an iPad or another tablet in some sort of some sort um, to start creating, because in the end we're all connected via mobile devices. And yes, some of us have a new MacBook Pro or I don't know, Tarek for sure orders the Mac Studio or whatever, but um, the most of us are having taking calls from their phone, their email. I email from my phone a lot. I I'm on Teams. I'm on Slack. Whatever. Uh, all via my phone. Why not create slides? Uh, and why not create content with it? Because I also cut videos on my phone for TikTok and for Snap and YouTube. So why not? And that's why I brought up me today. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a crazy question. And um, I mean, I personally have this op opinion that the phone is good or like the smartphone is good for everything that you need to have mobile. So if I'm sitting in a train, then it makes sense that I'm doing some uh, quick tasks on my phone. Um, but I personally, I enjoy having a keyboard and a big screen to work on. And maybe this makes me old <laughs> because like, ah, Back in the day, we had like these big PCs and everything, but it's just a question of practicality and having like a real keyboard where I can pr press tactical keys, uh, tactile keys. Um, it makes sense um, to work in this more efficient way. But of course, I see that um, a lot of people, especially in the younger generation, they only have like a tablet and a phone and they can they are perfectly happy with it. And um, I, I think it's even possible to um, attach like a keyboard to your phone and uh, put your phone maybe uh, on, on an external um, monitor. I'm actually not sure if this is all possible um, uh, with, a, with yeah, an external screen. Um, so maybe this is actually a thing that the mobile device is the new portable computer. And if it's powerful enough, then of course, yeah, why not? Um, I, I, I totally believe that there's a market for it. I'm, I'm not 100% sure if I'm the right target group for this, but I, I totally see the market for this. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, Tarek, because uh, same with me, right? So uh, this device is way too small for me uh, to work efficiently. On the other hand, I'm probably way too old to do so. So um, in that sense, it's probably a Gen Z thing or something. Um, at least it's a it's a generation thing. So I totally agree with you guys, or especially with you, Tarek, on this one. But um, I also see another point. Um, which is comparable to augmented reality, right? So nowadays we have like billions of end-user devices out there um, which are capable of um, presenting augmented reality, but only um, a fraction of those potential devices is being used 
to show augmented reality. And why is that? Although the um, capability is there technically, um, it is not being used because it is not practical for most of the users, if they even know about what augmented reality is at all. And um, this is the argument nowadays that people say, okay, the mobile device as we have it now, the smartphone is just a bridge technology. So which is leading to another topic, which we are dealing with uh, uh, actually quite often, um, which is um, the glasses, right? The, the mixed reality glasses, which will be coming up in the near and middle future. And when we are there, I think then everything comes together. Then we have the Gen Z again, um, growing up with all these technologies, also these immersive technologies on the one hand. And we have also um, the technical capabilities with um, possibilities to create whatever. And then, this is my um, belief, people will use their mobile devices, which is not a handheld device then, but which is um, a glass, smart glasses, and will use that actually to do whatever kind of creations. And then we are there. So as said, this is my hypothesis. Smartphone for most or for many use cases is just um, a bridge technology, bridging te technology. Yeah, and, and another aspect that uh, plays into this, um, this theory is that um, now with the rollout of, um, of 5G, there's more and more uh, streaming happening and uh, we have more cloud services. So you, for most applications, you do not even need a, a local CPU anymore and you can have everything in the cloud. So the device that you, that you use locally to work on does not need to have a GPU and a CPU and uh, expensive hardware. So it might actually be possible to work on your, I don't know, smart watch or smart belt buckle. Uh, what's a belt? Belt, what's the word? Belt buckle? On your smart belt. No, it's, you're right, you're right. Belt, belt buckle is uh, exactly <laughs> the word. Yeah, and, and so it, it might be that um, it it's, uh, will be very, very common to just, I don't know, stream to any uh, display like your glasses or the TV or something. And you don't even need a phone anymore because everything is then just streamed through your smartwatch or something. Everything becomes more distributed, um, and I, I can also see like a trend going there. This is maybe like two steps in, in the future, uh, not right now <laughs> in regards of this mobile app. Um, but for the question, if um, moving all of these services to mobile apps, I think this trend makes kind of sense. Yeah, and uh, only if you are maybe like a really pro professional who needs this. I don't know, 4K or 8K editing uh, um, application or something like that, that this person needs a specialized computer. Um, but maybe, yeah, maybe in the future or maybe in the near future, 90% of the users will work on their mobile phones or belt buckets. <laughs> and since you spoke about creating slides on your mobile phone, maybe then in that future, we do not have to create slides anymore. We just <laughs> <laughs> finally said goodbye to this mode of presentation. Right. But, but yeah, you're, 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 um, you're right. I already saw people are giving talks, going to the stage with their phone and then just plugging in their phone uh, or connecting it to like the, the Apple TV um, and just giving the presentation from their phone. That's that's true. This is already happening. So there are people who are using the smartphone as a computer for presentations. This is already there. Right. I mean, 
But is I mean, it also used for for creation? That's the question. Oh yeah. So mm -hmm. presentation is just like the playing out. But I mean, uh, talking about bridge devices, uh, the phone totally is a bridge device. I agree. But uh, the technology on there is also bridge. So. Um, when we're talking about creation, if we would really, you know, dig down, if we really would focus on creating more things on mobile, I think that we would focus on factors that are now also in focus due to all this talk about uh, VR. Um, but we would definitely talk more about um, the dictation feature. All phones have a dictation feature now and well, creating slides, Henrik, I think, in our professional career, we will have to create some. Um, but uh, it, creating these dictation would be would be much better, and I are very fast. It would be, become much better. Also, I think that, I mean, remember ten years ago, or let's say five years ago, mobile apps were clumsy, not really fast and efficient. They had some of the features, but not all of them, and they actually were more to show off, like free apps. Let's say all these, you know, all these Apple work, work for uh, work apps you, you delete instantly when you get your new device. Uh, all of them, they're more promotion, and, uh, to be frank, and uh, I think. And uh, but th they got better over time, and now we have things like Canva. And apparently, you don't need Adobe anymore for some of the things you do. And this will get better over time. And therefore, I think if we really would want to, I think we definitely could. And looking at a lot of the jobs we do here, especially at Axel Spring, I think where a lot of it is digitalized. Yes, there are pro users who need it because they code and they try out different layouts, et cetera, et cetera. But there are also people like me working in social media or journalists who record everything in the end and type out of it. Then I, I could probably name 100 other jobs where I think that uh, a device with a larger screen, say iPad mini, say, I don't know, Surface, Surface mini, okay? Same name. Um, I think all of the, or Surface Go, I'm sorry, Surface Go. Uh, but all of these devices, say these, um, they would be totally enough if we really would want to. TikTok. Alrighty. <laughs> TikTok first. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I, both articles that I wrote um, are dealing with the current situation in the Ukraine and Russia. So uh, first example, TikTok, um, which now decided to suspend content in Russia because um, they just uh, approved a law, I think a week ago, a couple of days ago in Russia, um, saying that anyone who publishes something that is false information in the eyes of uh, the Kremlin uh, with regards to the invasion in Ukraine uh, can be sent to jail for up to 15 years or pay a fine of like 15,000 US dollars, I think. Um, so on the one hand, they want to ensure the safety of uh, the content creators in Russia. Um, but at the same time, they're now limiting, of course, the, the audience that these content creators can reach um, and tell their stories on, on their side of it um, in Russia. So they said now like those content creators, they will now switch to Instagram or um, YouTube, I think, because these two, I think, are still available because Facebook has already been blocked by Russia and other news outlets, I mean, are also already dropping out. Um, so, yeah, that would be interesting to see what, what's left in 
even a couple of days. I mean, it, it can, it's just happening so fast right now. Um, but um, while on the one hand, it's, it's kind of right to, to protect them because every anti-Putin, anti-Ukraine invasion comment, um, you know, has these strong, um, there, there's a strong threat of them being put into jail immediately. Um, at the same time, who then can you reach people in Russia and make them aware of the stuff that's going on on television is, is bullshit. So, um, yeah, worrying uh, kind of uh, development. But yeah, I mean, you- th- this is this is really crazy and um, kind of a reverse um, reverse censorship. I mean, uh, th- there is this talk about Russia um, maybe splitting up from the general internet, but this way um, they can simply say, okay, uh, everyone can use social media <laughs> as before, but if you say something wrong, <laughs> you go to jail. This this is really brutal, and uh, I believe TikTok doesn't have any channel, or any social media network um, doesn't have a choice in this if they want to protect their users, um, b- because otherwise... YouTube, YouTube or, or TikTok, they can't censor their own content and filter out people talking about Russia in order to protect these users. And so all they can do is suspend their services. So yeah, this is this is you could say a, a clever tactic by the Russians um, for reducing the amount of uh, like foreign um, or or anti anti um, Russian speak. Yeah, simply make make the platform censor themselves out of fear. Yeah. In, it, Instagram found a, a smart solution to this um, because Instagram now tags everything that seems to be pro-Russian gov- governmental as uh, as by the by the one who's posting, but also by everybody who's seeing it as potentially wrong. So it says something like posting something that or sharing something that's potentially influenced by the Russian government uh, cannot guarantee for its quality or something. I don't know. Uh, look it up. But um, yeah, I think that's really good because it really shows everybody that the information that Russia wants to promote uh, could potentially be false. And this strategy, of course, relies heavily on people just not realizing that this is false propaganda. And um, therefore, I think it's really smart from Instagram or from Meta in the end to attack everything that seems like it. I also think that, so I think it's a great move from TikTok uh, in the first place. But I also think that, I mean, TikTok is a Chinese company from a bigger company which has a board of directors where the Chinese government is sitting in. So yes, it is of course in the end good that we cannot promote Russian or anybody cannot promote Russian propaganda. But I I would I wondering if this is probably a publicity stunt or due to of course pressuring of societies Europe, USA etc. Because in the end, let's be honest, TikTok is a, could be potentially a tool of a government which does exactly the same thing. So yeah, 
I, I I'm not 100% sure that this TikTok did this just because um, they are so Ukraine supportive. Yeah, of of course. Um, right now, it's it's very trendy to be pro Ukraine and anti Russia. Uh, so <laughs> of course you're you're right. It might also be just publicity. Um, but if if that's a fact that people are getting killed or arrested for producing a certain kind of content, then um, this probably has at least another benefit uh, than the publicity that, that is uh, happening right now on TikTok. But um, yeah, in terms of trend, um, I, I, I'm really wondering that there are so many companies starting boycotting Russia, even though I, I'm not sure that this was actually possible. I read that Starbucks and McDonald's or something, um, they stopped uh, working in Russia. They, they closed their restaurants and everything, even though I'm, I, I wasn't sure if that's possible because these franchises are owned by the individual shop owner, right? And so these, I don't know, the, this poor um, Russian McDonald's owner who gets this instruction from the mother company in USA, you ha now have to close your restaurant, even though they might not even be politically involved. Um, this is really hard. Um, and I mean, yeah, uh, poor Russians, they can't get their Big Mac. Um, but but yeah, the, the question how much publicity and how much actually sanction against the Russian government there actually is in. Because by closing the McDonald's restaurant, you're not, you're not really punishing the, the Russian government. Yeah, and I mean, also with like, as you said at the beginning, like the it plays in the hand of, of Russia in the end that, um, yeah, you... you make sure that the the people in Russia who wants to publish something anti-Putin or whatever, they, you know, they do not uh, have to fear that because they cannot publish anything on TikTok anymore. It's gone. But what if they want to consume information that is not um, brainwashed by Russia and get some information from the outside on what's actually going to happen? If all of these platforms now stop their businesses there, Where should they get this information from? Right. Yeah, yeah. Might even help the, the Russian government. Okay. The question is, of course, sorry. No, no, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I, I just, I I don't know if I'm even repeating something or this is some new content, but uh, the question is if this actually is the goal of the Russian government to get Western or foreign influence out of the country. Because on the one hand, yeah, sure, that's much better. And look at China, it works. Or depending on the field it works. Uh, but um, on the other hand, of course, this turns in the end, as Henrique said, uh, every, or Hatayk, as you said as well, turns people against the government. And in the end, there is it, everybody. So the Russian government, of course, needs the support of its people. So uh, at one point, I would think or argue that this is just enough. People will just have, okay, you cannot post on TikTok. Sure, you can't go on McDonald's. Okay. Sure, but now look at Facebook uh, or Meta, which is like the main communicator for a lot of people. The Messenger, WhatsApp. Uh, think, imagine all of these these things are gone. Uh, you can't whip up another WeChat. Uh, maybe you could share. I mean, China they could share probably WeChat, but no, you can't do this. So um, at one point, I think that people will just have enough. Yeah, yeah. It's my my idea no of course um but uh, we, we all know that there is this big uh, propaganda war um that russia and also china is al always uh, fighting and in this direction um, it might be considered a big win 
if the social media platforms uh, simply don't allow people to th to to get to endanger themselves by uh, producing anti-Russian propaganda. Let's say it like anti-Russian propaganda. Yeah, but I think it's broader, right? So the Western influence, as you call it, is not only McDonald's and Facebook. <laughs> um, it's, it's all the imports uh, which actually Russian people consumed, right? Which are not there at the moment. And it's the whole spectrum of whatever kind of products. And um, you, you all have seen these pictures like from, from Russians actually standing in front of empty shelves and stuff. So, and this of course creates some, some kind of discontent within the people. So I would not be too sure that this is in the, um, or th that that is the basic idea and, and in the positive sense of, um, of the Kremlin and of the Russian government. So um, I think there's always two sides in that. Of course, if you actually push back the Western influence, that's okay. But if you have all the um, implications with that, as just described, then that might be a big problem in the middle run uh, for the government as well. Right, right. Okay, let's jump to the next article so that we don't run out of time. Um, the random generator says, Chris, you are on with, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Russia. Yeah, it fits, it fits quite well, actually, the article. <clears throat> And um, this is indeed about um, Anonymous, uh, who apparently hacked um, Russian streaming services and state TV. Um, and instead of, well, some kind of propaganda information, they showed, so to say, real war footage from the current situation um, in Ukraine and what happens there. And uh, that was that was quite impressive, I thought, that something like that is possible, right? That they would be able to hack... Um, the Russian official governmental governmental um, streaming services, uh, TV services, broadcasting services, and um, put their own content in there. They also hacked like 400 public displays where they put um, overlaying texts in there. So describing scenarios and, and, and scenes and uh, situations happening there. Um, And also, uh, they, they put down the official official website of the Russian government. All of this is something, um, from my point of view, which is quite, well, impressive. Because I would have thought that especially these um, state and uh, in, in the infrastructures from government side, actually, are being more secured. And that especially, I mean, we're talking about Russia. So they, they know about cyber terrorism and... and uh, Uh, how the hacking thing works. So I would have expected that they know also how to protect themselves. And that situation like that happens, from my point of view, was quite impressive. Yeah, I think um, right now Russia uh, unites the, the whole world against uh, themselves. And so the best hackers from all over the world are gathering and attacking Russia. And of course, um, they, they probably have like heightened security. But you can't protect everything and uh, especially like, I don't know, public billboards or so. Um, I'm not sure if there's like a governmental agency um, going through all the vendors and all the IT infrastructure and checking if like the special firewalls of the public display somewhere in the city um, is, is up and running. Yeah, absolutely. So the public displays uh, apparently is, is the weakest um 
uh, thing here, but um, we're talking also about like the official website of the Russian government, right? Or <laughs> streaming right. Uh, um, state uh, streaming TV stations or TV channels. So, I mean, this is uh, a little bit more official and a little bit more governmentally, so to say. Um, yeah. I would have expected some some more protection. Yeah, I, I guess someone just lost their jobs. <laughs> yeah, not the first one in this whole right. or their head. conflict. Yeah. Chris, uh, I think you're right that this fits perfectly well with the one with the topic before, uh, because I think it's very interesting since it since it shows that it doesn't matter how much uh, Russia tries to get off uh, get out foreign influence, um, there are parts of infrastructure where this is just not possible. And I think that, of course, I mean, imagine the world where Russia would actually lock off the global internet and create their own whatever network this would have I, this is something i don't it's i i don't think it's realistic however uh imagine this would be i don't think that in any world there would be no handshake between one network and the other and i think therefore this is the best proof that what the article you brought is the best proof that russia cannot go uh, yeah lock off or you know detach themselves from some crucial infrastructural parts and mcdonald's and starbucks and all these things we spoke about they are well infrastructure that has to be you know signed off by the government they they're in place there you can touch them etc etc okay for sure um but there are just things you can't deal with soldiers or power maybe even money at some certain point um you just cannot control and I think uh, Russia, well, this is the best proof. Russia messed up with these kinds of with this these kinds of points in infrastructure. And um, yeah, that's the bill. So I think that's just the best proof that the vision of Russia uh, is not possible. And imagine China would, I don't know, do something like that. I think that would China also see this too. They they built up walls and uh, borders for for centuries now, uh, for decades. Sorry, not centuries, for decades. Uh, still, they would probably see the same. Um, and I think that's very interesting. Yeah. And probably main motivation was that uh, people don't have TikTok anymore. And so they can stream now TikTok on the public Russian websites and on the billboards. <laughs> Every channel is another video. Right. <laughs> yeah. Who gets the highest channel? <laughs> we're back to, uh, we're back to, well, I, I, I forgot the name of it. Uh, video text. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Maybe we open an ad agency there now. This this would be really impressive to convert TikTok videos into a video text format. So the next one is uh, Henrike. Alrighty, bringing it back to space. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, this is just one of the many examples um, that shows that the time is over where uh, when operations in space were not affected by political events on Earth. Um, yeah, because uh, there's many partnerships already now that have been paused or canceled completely um, with ESA or NASA working with Roscosmos. Um, this is like now one of the European examples with ExoMars um, that was supposed to start, I think, a second phase of uh, launching a Mars rover on Mars this summer. 
on a Russian rocket and um, also some of the landing um, equipment is uh, uh, was built by Roscosmos. So um, this probably won't happen this year, if ever. Um, and which is yeah quite uh, sad to see that also with regards to operations on, on ISS, for instance, um, as of now, NASA and uh, Roscosmos, they still maintain it together. But um, the uh, director of Roscosmos, he already threatened NASA that uh, they will uh, will stop uh, supporting like um, with their thrusters to push back the ISS to their regular orbit, uh, leading it to crush into the Earth, which won't happen super fast. But uh, over a longer period of time, this is actually like a uh, it's a concern. And um, yeah, it's it's worrying to see that this peace project, this global peace project um, is now also affected by uh, by this conflict. And um, in the short term, I think uh, like the harm is big in, in Europe and, and the US and all the you know, like partners Russia worked with because uh, they all now have to find new spots on other launchers to, to launch their satellites and, um, you know, fulfill the missions that they planned. But in the long run, um, I mean, Russia is just harming themselves so badly because who in the future is, you know, like willing to book a seat on a Soyuz rocket again or launching their satellites uh, with Russian uh, rockets because um, now the trust is gone from one day to another and it, uh, yeah, won't be happening fast to, to build up the trust again. But yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of things happened, actually. A lot of uh, projects now have been cancelled and stopped, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah, I, I also think that this is simply tragic and in the long run hurtful for Russia because um, the, this plan of um, of shutting down the ISS, for example, this is this this is older than um, this conflict with Russia and the motivation of NASA um, stepping away from this project was also that um, the private industry is now capable of taking over low orbit operations. And so um, the big private space companies, they are not Russian. <laughs> they are coming mostly from the US. And so if we say, okay, yeah, we, we are not playing with, with Russia anymore, then there are a lot of other players who can take over. And at the end, Russia will lose um, all, all corporations uh, that are probably more important for Russia than the other way around. I mean, the only thing that plays into their hand in the short and midterm probably is that all the changes that you make in a in a space project, it takes years. So it's it's not like now we say, okay, if the Russians cannot or won't be able to um, support us in like making sure the ISS is in the right orbit, then other vehicles have to take over this job and to implement that will take years for it to actually work. So it won't happen from one day to another. So this is kind of what in the short and midterm um, plays into their hands. But in the long run, of course, then once we now start changing all this and rely on other partners and not on Russia anymore, then yeah, yeah. they will, won't play, be important anymore. Yeah. And um, Enrique, one, uh, one quick question, uh, just for understanding. Um, it, 
imagine before the Dragon missions from SpaceX uh, wouldn't have the Soyuz missions the only uh, wouldn't would the the missions from Russia wouldn't weren't they the only way to actually bring people up to this ISS? So yeah. this is extremely critical. I, is that right? I mean, imagine that we would not have the private sector to support these missions. Um, yeah. Yeah, like going back like five, six years, <laughs> uh, that would have been like a huge issue. But since uh, the Dragon now uh, can bring astronauts to the ISS and also Boeing's uh, solution is like getting there. <laughs> um, they're like alternatives to Soyuz. But I mean, I think just in a couple of weeks, it's actually planned to bring back astronauts, uh, not just cosmonauts, but also astronauts um, with the Soyuz uh, capsule back to Earth. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of usually it's nobody would care because this has never been affected by any kind of political issues on Earth. But now it is not so safe anymore. Yeah. This this would really be a bummer if um, the Russian government could held like astronauts hostage on the ISS by saying, yeah, we are not picking them up if you uh, don't stop like provoking us on Earth. Never come back to us. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that uh, in 2022 we stop talking about COVID and uh, we actually start uh, reliving like a cold war again, even though it's not really cold right now. Uh, it's, it's really, really sad. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. And the final link, I think, because the last one was from Lars. Um, yeah, right. Let's, let's uh, finish up with something more positive. Um, I read some news from Google um, where they are experimenting with uh, body language detection. And this one is very interesting because it's not um, this privacy-invasing camera technology where you like have a webcam and the webcam films you and uh, tries to detect what, what you're doing. Um, because this is, of course, a privacy concern. Um, Google is experimenting with radar technology. So their claim is that they can use radar um, to read your presence and your movement and your body language and determine what your intent is while you are interacting with a computer. For example, um, if you are approaching the computer, it might like power up, um, or if you are going away, or um, the computer understands that someone just passing by, um, and all of these, let's say, full body gestures can then be interpreted and uh, used for some kind of input. Um, and this is quite an interesting approach, um, if this works like efficiently, um, because it, it could give uh, any kind of computer more, um, yeah, the, I, I don't want to say uh, the ability to be sentient, because it's not sen sentient uh, per se, um, but the ability to react more of on, on you as a person that you are, you would be more possible, uh, more able to um, customize like the behavior of your machine. I'm already always um, very fascinated by the, the iPhone um, with a face unlocking um, that this iPhone actually realizes when I look at it. So just holding my face in front of the camera does not unlock it. Only if my eyes move onto the cameras, then um, the, the phone unlocks. So only if I 
intentionally look at the phone, it will unlock. And so, um, of course, this is not radar technology and everything, but there's also already um, the ability of the phone to understand if I'm looking at it or not. It's not only the face. And this is, is quite fascinating. And so I could really imagine that in the future, more smart devices, especially in my, my apartment, would react to my presence in the room, my movement, and my probable intention based on probably some behavior screening. Um, and then, I don't know, um, understanding that I go, go out of bed and start cooking coffee. Yeah? Right now I could program it. Uh, but in the future, it could actually react to me mood, moving out of the bed. The art article, uh, of course, says um, right now it's, it's questionable if this is um, possible to um, apply like in a logical sense, because in theory, you say I approach my computer and so please boot up. And if I leave the computer, boot down or switch the TV off. But what happens if I actually want to have the TV running in the background while I'm preparing dinner or something like that? Then the computer might interpret me leaving the, com the, the TV and shutting it down. Um, and so this might be too smart for my actually uh, desire to control the, the hardware uh, by myself. Yeah. But um, at, at least from the scientific point of view, yeah. No, I, I just like the uh, the example you gave with like when you're getting out of bed, like and then the coffee machine starts making your coffee or whatever, because we have like this saying in German, if you like get up on the wrong foot, <laughs> what happens to <laughs> to all the, 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 the setup in general? What happens then? Like the machine's going crazy because like, something's out of order or yeah, whatever. Right. Your smart home tries to guess what is going on and I don't know, it starts <laughs> mowing the lawn or something. <laughs> as, you, as you said, it's just about probabilities, right? So, and sometimes you don't want to be... Um, well, just calculate it. Mm. Uh, you, you just don't want to be a variable in a calculation. Maybe you just have like um, different things to do, different ideas. You just want to do something different than the usual way. And uh, then it might be annoying. For instance, I have a new oven here. Uh, and whenever I um, put um, one of these uh, pots from one place to the other, it starts beeping for whatever reason. And uh, if that is really annoying because this is exactly what I want to do and I don't want any machine telling me or beeping at me um, just because what I'm well doing what I'm doing uh, because and the machine thinks uh, it, it knows better what to do than me it's the same with cars for instance uh, what, what I really like or dislike actually is when a car tells you um, you might need a brake uh, since it, it, it believes it has detected some signs of um, of tiredness in your way of driving. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is ridiculous, and this is definitely not what I would like to to have in my apartment, Tarek, and uh, not in my personal future. Yeah, not in that way. I I think that I think that this is just the next logical step that devices will be able to detect these things because i mean look at our world now we try this uh, and we use workarounds the whole time i mean there are people out there with a coffee maker that has amazon alexa or something like that okay sure that is something else but there are timers on on things on i don't know so for example uh jewish people can work anything electric, uh, electric during their rest time. So uh, they have timers on literally everything. 
And this, of course, would change that. Or I don't know, maybe not in this specific area, but this is, I think, a great example for it. And I mean, look at Apple with Apple Watch and all the other Apple features or devices. Um, they use the watch as a workaround for nearly everything, unlocking your computer, unlocking your phone with a mask, um, detecting a fall, all these things are detecting if you want to use your device or not. Now you can pick up your phone and uh, it realizes that it's been picked up and it turns on the screen and with Face ID, it actually automatically unlocks. So I think we have all these workarounds for something that is yet to come, which I think is summarized in this article pretty well. So I'm, I'm very positive about this. And um, yeah, I mean, of course, there will be a lot of security risk questions, et cetera, et cetera, attached to this, which I can't see right now. But I mean, look at in the inventing of the uh, finger scanner on, on phones as well. A lot of people were against it. Still, uh, it came on the market. And um, yeah, uh, there were questions, but it also helped a lot. So yeah. Yeah, also here, I think uh, we're talking about bridge technologies again, right? So it's there, it works more or less, but um, there still is this level of tolerance, right? And all this technology is still a little bit, a little bit underneath that. As long as the probability of the machine is not that high that it really knows what I want, but just assumes to know what I want, uh, it will m make mistakes and that then might be annoying. Um, and uh, also I'd like to talk to talk with this machine then later on, right? So if, if it's doing something, then I do not want to type on some whatever kind of keyboard or stuff like that. I just want to tell it, look, stop that, do another thing or go away or whatever, right? So when it has this level of intelligence, then we are talking. But um, as long as this is not the case, from my point of view, it's bridge technology, which, which does not mean it's not... Uh, um, it, it does not have any sense, right? So of course we need bridge technology to, to, to technology to get somewhere, but um, bridge technology might be annoying <laughs> on the way to wherever. Yeah, it, it reminds me at Ideas Engineering, we built this uh, talking coffee maker and it had a cam camera and it was detecting if you are looking happy or if you are looking sad while you're waiting for your coffee. And if you're looking sad, it was telling you a joke to cheer you up. And I, I, I loved it so much. It was such an amazing thing. But people were hating it. Yeah, they, they came to the coffee maker and the coffee maker was saying like, oh, you look sad. <laughs> and so, yeah, as you said, you, you want to give feedback. And uh, so our smart home devices become like an unwanted uh, uh, roommate, right? Someone who just gives you like un unwanted feedback, like, oh, you look tired. <laughs> you should sleep more. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I still love it. I still love uh, the talking coffee maker. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. So, yeah, just one last phrase. Sure. You just want you want this technology to be helpful and not to be um, uh, some somebody who wants or tries to guide you through life. So I had a mother, um, and and when I was young, and that was okay. But now. As a grown-up, I actually want to make my own decisions. Yeah, the, the AI knows better. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh oh. So is that the future we're heading to? Sure, I think we are already there. <laughs> Okay, yeah, we are already over time, um, but I really loved all the stories that we had today. So I think it was very, very vivid. Thank you so much uh, for contributing and thank you everyone uh, who was watching. Um, I think we had uh, more live viewers than uh, ever before. So uh, really, really great to see all of you. Thank you so much and see you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye, thank you. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode and for that we here at Tech Review want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope this new episode was valuable for you and if it was, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to us right now. Share this episode with others who could also like it. Do you have a topic that you'd like to see covered in future episodes? Don't hesitate to tell us in the comments or on social media. We hope you'll be back for the next episode.